Yesterday was election day, and two mayoral victories in Metro Detroit will have consequences for the whole state. Representative Kevin Coleman won a mayoral race in Westland, and Representative Lori Stone won in Warren, which means that both of these Democrats will have to vacate their current seats in the Michigan State House. Michigan Democrats, who had a slim majority of 56 to 54 over Republicans, will now be at a 54-54 tie. That is at least for the time being. The House of Representatives reportedly is set to adjourn this week, which is unusually early. So the next two days could be a mad dash for Democrats to pass legislation before they lose their majority. Today, what this shuffling means for the Michigan House and what we can expect in the new year. This is Stateside. I'm Laura Weber Davis, in for April Bear. Beth LeBlanc is a reporter at the Detroit News who's been covering the election. And yes, she was up very late last night. I was up very late, you know, burning the candle at both ends here, as always. You know, reporter life. I called her up to get the details of what's happening in the State House. So how quickly will these two representatives be leaving their current seats to become mayors? I mean, really, for both of them, it's it's a matter of one, two weeks. What they're waiting for is on the official certification of the results from those mayoral races. And then after that point, they can they can take their seats as mayors in Westland and Warren. Does the timing of all of this have anything to do with why the legislature is choosing to break so early this year? Yeah, there there are a couple of factors um, pressing on the legislature and pushing them to end a little earlier. One is, yeah, this reality that with Reps Coleman and Stone leaving for their mayoral seats, Democrats are down two votes. They're going to be tied with Republicans and they're going to have to do a lot of negotiating to get anything across the finish line. The other thing that's pushing them to adjourn early is because certain legislation that they passed this year requires like 90 days to take effect after session is adjourned for the year. So one of those pieces of legislation is the February 27th primary date. Um, In order for that earlier primary date for Michigan to be enacted, they need to give it 90 days to enact basically in time for the election. Those are basically the two major factors pushing on the legislature to end early. So the shot clock must start ticking at a certain point for them anyway. Yes. Yeah. So I know it's kind of hard to know exactly what any, you know, in-office or back-channel back, back channel conversations looked like. Did you get any sense about how the representatives prepared leadership for this job opportunity that they were both seeking? I mean, was there any kind of serious conversation that happened? Like, look, this is something I really want to do. I really want to go back to Westland and try and be mayor. And I know it will compromise the numbers here, but this is, you know, something I need to do personally. Do you have any any sense of how those conversations went? I wasn't really privy to the conversations there, but I will say they, they definitely took place earlier this year. Like House leadership has had several months to prepare for this reality um, because they had to declare, you know, in the spring, early summer, in time for the the primaries in August. So so they've had a lot of time to kind of chew on this and figure out how they would move forward. But I also think, you know, a lot of lawmakers and onlookers in Lansing went into the election last night with really no clear idea 
of whether these two lawmakers would win those races. You know, the, the primary was kind of inconclusive in terms of who would come out ahead in, in last night's race. So I think everyone was watching intently last night, but nobody really knew how it would turn out or if it would deprive the Democratic caucus of two, two votes. What do House rules say now that we know it's going to be, I believe, a 54-54 split? even split? Is that right? Correct. So what do House rules say about what will happen with the balance of power? So essentially, um, House rules only allow for the selection of a new speaker if there's a 55 majority switch within the House. So if Republicans, let's say, were to get 55 members instead of 54, then they could move for a new speaker election. Um, but in this case, we don't have that. So Speaker Joe Tate will remain Speaker. But I guess the big question is, what does it mean to be Speaker in a 54-54 split? And what it means is that there's going to be a lot of negotiation and discussions with House Republican leader Matt Hall about where they can find consensus on different bills. So far this year, there hasn't been a ton of consensus between the two parties. I think uh, not a surprise really to anyone at this point, but there hasn't been a lot of consensus between the two caucuses. And and so, you know, I, I don't think anybody watching this process has high hopes in terms of what kind of bipartisan legislation can get through the House over the next several months. But I guess we'll just have to wait and see in that sense. So there aren't any, as far as you can see from from your reporter seat, any issues that are out there that clearly could be worked on together? So like one one pending issue that they have gotten bipartisan support on in the past is is reforms to auto no fault. So that's possibly one. um, But that's such a fraught issue and one where there are so many different stakeholders trying to influence decisions in that process. And so that one is is difficult, regardless of if there's, you know, a big majority or a small majority or a tie. Um, But there is a possibility they could find bipartisan consensus on something like that. We need to take a quick break. More with Beth when we come back. Stay with us. Support for the Stateside Podcast comes from Kalamazoo College, offering a personalized education that combines critical thinking, curiosity, and creativity. Committed to preparing students for meaningful careers that make a positive impact on the world. More at kzoo.edu. Support for Michigan Public's Stateside Podcast comes from Lake Trust Credit Union, working to empower financial well-being for Michigan consumers, businesses, and communities. Committed to financial solutions and advice to support people and families. More information at laketrust.org. The House and the Senate, the the legislature generally is staffed with people who are kings and queens of procedural um, maneuvers. Is there any kind of procedural recourse the, the GOP could have right now to... I don't know, change House rules or shift more control back into their caucus now that there's the even split? 
I mean, I would say they're definitely on the lookout for it if they haven't found it already. I, I think uh, <laughs> I think that's probably going to be something or attempts made in the next several months we might see on the House floor. I think it's also something Democrats are are defending against at this point because they realize that's that's probably going to happen over the next several months where the Republican caucus tries to find ways or procedural maneuvers to you know, get the policy across that they want or score political points that they want. I think the same could be true of, of Democrats, though, as well. I mean, I think they'll be looking at opportunities where where they can look at the rules and look at ways to, to benefit their caucus despite this 54-54 tie. Has the governor's office given any indication about interest or timing in having special elections to fill these two seats? Not so far. And I, I think that's that's a big question that's hanging out there today because there really is no timeline for when she has to schedule those elections for. So a primary special election and a general special election. But there's obviously pressure from the Democratic caucus to move that along quickly. You know, during the pandemic, when, when some Republican House lawmakers left seats or um, there were openings, it, it in some cases took months for her to to call a special election. I kind of doubt that's going to happen in this case, but only time will tell when she when she sets that date. Is there a sense about how quickly it could happen? Yeah, I mean, so there there's not like a hard and fast timeline for when the governor has to has to spe- schedule this. We've heard in the past like you know, more than a decade ago that there there were some special elections that were called within 60 days. But this time around, um, Michigan has a lot of new voting rights that take more time to prepare for and need more leeway and more lead up time to them. Um, For example, nine days of early voting. You have to calculate that into whatever um, into whatever date you set to make sure that clerks have enough time to to prepare for the early voting, make sure clerks have enough time to implement expanded absentee voting rights. So there are a few other factors in the calculation this time around that the governor and the secretary of state's office are really going to be taken into account. You know, over the next couple of days, we're probably going to see just a rush of legislation um, seeking to get it across the finish line so the legislature can, you know, end session for the year and and squeak through with its 56 person majority um, before they lose these two lawmakers to, to the mayoral seats in Metro Detroit. Before we go, there was some other big news in Michigan politics yesterday. The U.S. House of Representatives passed a resolution to censure Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib. A censure is essentially a public condemnation. 22 Democrats joined the vast majority of Republicans to censure Tlaib for, quoting here, promoting false narratives regarding the October 7, 2023 Hamas attack on Israel and for calling for the destruction of the state of Israel, end quote. We want to leave you with this today, Rashida Tlaib's statement in response to the censure on the House floor. I'm the only Palestinian-American serving in Congress, Mr. Chair, and my perspective is needed here now more than ever. I will not be silenced, and I will not let you distort my words. Folks forget I'm from the city of Detroit, the most beautiful blackest city in the country where I learned to speak truth to power even if my voice shakes. Trying to bully or censor 
me won't work because this movement for a ceasefire is much bigger than one person. It's growing every single day. There are millions of people across our country who oppose Netanyahu's extremism and are done watching our government support collective punishment and the use of white phosphorus bombs that melt flesh to the bone. They are done watching our government, Mr. Chair, supporting cutting off food, water, electricity, and medical care to millions of people with nowhere to go. Like me, Mr. Chair, they don't believe the answer to war crimes is more war crimes. The refusal of Congress and the administration to acknowledge Palestinian lives is chipping away at my soul. Over 10,000 Palestinians have been killed. Majority, majority were children. But let me be clear. My criticism has always been of the Israeli government and Netanyahu's actions. It is important to separate people and governments, Mr. Chair. No government is beyond criticism. The idea that criticizing the government of Israel is anti-Semitic sets a very dangerous precedent, and it's being used to silence diverse voices speaking up for human rights across our nation. Do you realize what it's like, Mr. Chair, for the people outside the chamber right now, listening in agony to their own government dehumanizing them? To hear the President of the United States, we helped elect, dispute death tolls as we see video after video of dead children and parents under rubble. Mr. Chair, do you know what it's like to fear rising hate crimes, to know how Islamophobia and anti-Semitism makes us all less safe and worry that your own child might suffer the horrors that six-year-old Wadiat did in Illinois. I can't believe I have to say this, but pa Palestinian people are not disposable. We are human beings, just like anyone else. My city, my grandmother, like all Palestinians, just wants to live her life with freedom and human dignity we all deserve. Speaking up to save lives, Mr. Chair, no matter faith, no matter ethnicity, should not be controversial in this chamber. The cries of the Palestinian and, Palestinian and Israeli children sound no different to me. Why, what I don't understand is why the cries of Palestinians sound different to you all. We cannot lose our shared humanity, Mr. Chair. I hear the voices of advocates in Israel, in Palestine, across America and around the world for peace. I am inspired by their courageous, the courageous survivors in Israel who have lost loved ones, yet are calling for a ceasefire and the end to violence. I am grateful to the, to the people in the streets for the peace, peace movement with countless Jewish Americans across the country standing up and lovingly saying, not in our name. We will continue to call for a ceasefire, Mr. Chair, for the immediate delivery of critical humanitarian aid to Gaza, for the release of all hostages and those arbitrarily detained, and for every American to come home. We will continue to work for real lasting peace that upholds human rights and dignity of all people, and centers in peaceful coexistence between Israelis and Palestinians, and censures no one, no, no one, and ensures that no person, no child, has to suffer or live in fear of violence. 71% of Michigan Democrats support a ceasefire. So you can try to censor me, but you can't silence their voices. 
I urge my colleagues to join with the majority of Americans and support a ceasefire now to save as many lives as possible. President Biden must listen to and represent all of us, not just some of us. I urge the president to have the courage to call for a ceasefire and the end of killings. Four Republicans voted against the censure of Tlaib, reportedly on grounds of freedom of speech. None of those Republicans were from Michigan. And that's the Stateside Podcast for today. I'm Laura Weber Davis, in for April Bear. You can find the full Stateside show at michiganradio.org. Today's episode was produced by Rachel Ishikawa. Other producers on the show are Mike Blank, Ronia Kabensog, Mercedes Mejia, and April Van Buren. Our intern is Olivia Meridian. Music from Blue Dot Sessions and Audio Network. Thanks for listening.